This episode is brought to you by the ASIO Go app, free and exclusive to ASIO members. Find the latest industry news, updates, events, publications, resources, and much more. Simply go to your app store and search for ASIO Go to install. Security integration is a complex business. Getting sales estimating right equates to increasing profitability, positive organization growth, and increased customer satisfaction. However, conversely, getting estimations wrong can be an absolute disaster. In today's competitive and cost-driven landscape, it is more important than ever to estimate correctly to achieve profitability, lower risk, and deliver quality projects. Today's podcast focuses on key areas of systems integration, estimating, and best practices to get it right. Covering products, labor, and service pricing at offerings, subcontractors, and ensuring other, in inverted commas, costs are included, and strategies for multi-system estimates, options, contingencies, and alternatives, our guest, Ken, discusses how to ensure your organization is estimating accurately to achieve the best result. As I just mentioned, our guest today for this episode is Ken Whalen, Vice President of Engineering and Chief Technology Officer at Engineered Systems, Inc. Ken has a master's degree in engineering management with a focus on construction management. He's been involved in estimating and installing a wide range of security projects across the US, ranging from courts to healthcare facilities, public transport, and what's more, and has been involved in estimating for almost a couple of decades now. Ken, welcome to the podcast. Okay, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. And so today we are talking about the key elements to profitability and sales estimating. And I suppose this is one of those tricky challenges because if you get the estimation wrong, it can end up causing you all sorts of problems further down the track. So for those people who aren't familiar with your background, which will be everyone listening to this, start off just by giving us a little bit of background on on who you are and what you do. Okay. Um, I'm an engineer. I got my degree in computer and electrical engineering from uh, Rowan University. Uh, I come from a family of electricians and telephone men, so I kind of understand the, the wire pulling business. Uh, I started my uh, career as an electrical estimator, getting trained by NECA to do estimating, so that's why it's near and dear to my heart. And I built up my career through a design engineering aspect of security and fire alarm. Yep. Okay, fantastic. Now, as we've already established, estimating sales is a, an extremely important part of the process because it can make or break the project. And the bigger the project, the more, I suppose, challenging it becomes, but the more important it becomes. So if you had to sum up the most common mistakes that people make when they're pricing projects, where would you begin? Uh, the scoping the information that is provided, you know, really getting into it, learning, you know, how to do the takeoff, learning the uh, philosophy and the you know, scope of work that the end user or the consultant or architect or engineer really wanted to portray and understanding where the information is correct, where it was kind of insinuated and where you need to get more clarification on. Yeah. What do you mean by where it was insinuated and where you need more clarification? Is that, you know, areas that might appear a bit vague within the scope? Or? Yeah, like if you're looking at access control, a lot of times, uh, you know, consultants uh, working with architects and engineers on a full bid set will show the card reader, but then you have to really go into the door hardware set or, you know, one of the other drawings to see what encompasses the whole door and who's responsible for it. Is the door hardware uh, provider providing it? 
Um, are you expected to provide us some of the hardware? Um, if you look at some of the riser details and then you look at some of the uh, architectural details, all right, now you need to make a decision what kind of other hardware needs to go with it, whether it be Rex, Rex hardware for request to exit motions or buttons, door contacts. You know, a lot of times the drawing doesn't have all those on it, so you really have to look at all the information within the scope because uh, they're insinuating, yes, there's something going on here, but now you need to dig down to see what is all in your scope. And so how typically would you do that? Would you go back to the consulting engineer or would you go back to the architect or both? Or where do you get that information from? Uh, first, I look through the uh, specifications, um, if there is any, because sometimes with security, you don't get specifications. But you look through the uh, door hardware, you look through the uh, um, pretty much any of the other specs or drawings that may have details relating to the door. So they'll have little notes saying, uh, hey, you know, door hardware by, you know, door manufacturer, but hey, we want these devices supplied by the security contractor, which may not be on the security drawings. Right. Okay. So then if determining which information is, is not there and which information needs more clarification is one of the biggest mistakes, what are the other top sort of two or three things people get wrong? Uh Revision control. So as drawings get revised and they go through, you know, a 60% to 80% completion, assuming everything has been updated properly. Um, there's a lot of variables on a big project. So sometimes, you know, the riser doesn't get updated or a, you know, parts list that they listed on a drawing doesn't get updated. So you have to double check all resources that you looked on the original version to see if they're updated to make sure one of them might have a, a miscalculated quantity or they might have a, a different you know part number all of a sudden but the other one doesn't so you really have to verify all the locations where the data might be okay and what about scope creep mm -hmm. where, where things start being varied uh, that's really where you have to look at um, clarification on an RFI so if they don't give enough detail on something you need to RFI hey, are we expected to do X, Y, and Z? So a lot of times in security in like New York City, there's a parking garage because parking's at a premium. Finding out what's in your scope, what's not in your scope, you know, ballards, you know, the uh, 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 pedestals and everything else can fall into diff two different categories. It can fall under the security contractor, it can fall under, you know, whoever's providing all the, you know, parking hardware. So you need to clarify and find out, hey, is this in my scope or is this something that's outside my scope that's going to be in another package that's being released? Uh, also verifying, you know, uh, different type of uh, drawings from uh, outside, you know, site drawings versus inside. Sometimes you'll see a, a scope creep because, hey, this drawing has 20 cameras that says it's on the outside and this one says there's 21. Is that one just you know, still there or is it that, you know, two people or two different people are updating those drawings and they didn't talk to each other. So uh, those are the kind of things you need to clarify, you know, if they need latch protectors on the doors, is that being supplied? Uh, you know, those are the kind of scope creep that can come really quickly because you can multiply it by, you know, 20, 30 locations if you don't read the spec correctly. Yeah. And then to protect against things like scope creep, are there certain provisions that you can build into the contract mm -hmm. or, or how do you normally manage that sort of thing? Uh, clarifications um, saying, you know, hey, here's what we are doing and what we're not doing. 
clarifying what drawings that you worked off of uh, and the information provided, and clearly laying out this is the parts I'm supplying. You know, you don't have to give out unit pricings. You don't always have to give out manufacturers or part numbers, but you do should have a full list of all the parts you're supplying and saying this is encompassing everything I am obligated under this contract to supply. Anything else would be, you know, need to be a change order. Okay. And then are there any other major uh, pitfalls that you see people coming across when it comes to actually setting up or, or estimating sales jobs? Yeah, it really comes down to the burden rates, um, trying to make sure that you understand, you know, are you going to have to pay for parking? You're going to have to pay for tolls. You're going to have to pay, uh, you know, downtime for trying to get equipment on site. Uh, those are the kind of things that easily are associated with one job. Then making sure, are you keeping up to date with your burden hourly rate on your tax? Have you looked at it lately? You know, don't let it sit there for three years and think it's so good because people's gotten raises, you have more costs, you have more safety equipment. Um, so those are the kind of things that a lot of people miss and then they start seeing the costs add up because, you know, a hundred hour job, if I'm $5 short, on my burden rate, that adds up very quickly, and then multiple jobs, it can really tank, you know, your P and L for the year. So let's uh, let's just clarify for the people listening. What do you mean by burden rate? Because that's not something we would normally talk about in Australia. Okay, so burden rate is pretty much uh, the technician's pay per hour plus the insurance that you would have to cover, the uh, truck cost, um, training cost, uniform cost, safety equipment replacement cost. Um, downtime that you you know you're gonna have like hey this guy has two weeks vacation well you're gonna have to pay that without billing anybody for it so you got to reevaluate your rate that you pay bill out so you get paid enough to cover that time off uh, so those are the kind of things you need to put into it then on top of that some kind of the front office that's related to that technician because um, some of it's just going to be your overhead period but whatever direct overhead you can Load, top load onto the technician is really going to keep everything streamlined so you know, hey, this technician has project management, you know, admin cost, engineering cost, and all that. It helps keep the job on track because you know that technician doesn't work in a bubble. Wow, okay. So there's, it, it, it's looking at all the other associated on costs that involve in keeping that person on the job and productive. Correct. Okay. So then if they're the major pitfalls that people come across, what are the sorts of things that people aren't doing that they could or should be doing that make them more competitive or more, uh, I suppose, more advantageous in the role? Uh, it's really embracing uh, development of your staff. Um, like one thing that uh, coming from a electrician that was a union shop was balancing out younger talent with older talent. So, you can, you know, your, bur your average burn is going to be lower because you have got two more inexperienced guys getting taught by an experienced guy. So now the average between the three is going to be lower than just having the uh, higher rate guy. Um, also being very direct with your uh, list of what you are and aren't doing. So it's easy for the project manager to take it and run with it. Um, too many times I see sales have all that information, but don't make it easy for a project manager to grab the project once it's sold get up to speed and start doing everything. They need to have a meeting to kind of get all the details that they need. So if you package everything in a nice package and the operations can read, hey, here's all the pictures I took, here's all the 
conversations I had, here's all the takeoffs I did, and here's the uh, quote. It really helps. So quote is a powerful tool, but it's, you know, needs to have that extra information on the side of it to really tell the whole story of how you got to this price. Sure. And then once the quote's been accepted, let's say the job goes ahead, are there things that I need to be doing along the way on the job to make sure that that quote doesn't get blown out or become redundant? Uh, yes. So you really got to keep an eye on the ongoing P&L for each individual job, seeing where your labor costs are versus your equipment costs and your other costs. And it really going to tell you, you know, where you are. So if you feel like you're 50% done, but your costs are at 75%, it's going to tell you <laughs> there's something wrong. Um, you might be having a wrong, you know, gut feeling. But if you're doing this industry, you use your gut feeling and the numbers not adding up. It does tell you that there's a problem. Uh, on the other side, you can look at how efficient we're getting things done by having good end-of-day documentation. So having end-of-day from your field techs going, this is what was completed, this is what's being worked on, and here's what hasn't been started and have it really easy for them just to cut and paste. So it's not like they have to spend 15 minutes on it. They can spend five minutes just taking an email you sent, highlighting green means done, red means not started, yellow means in progress. It's gonna tell you everything you need to know. So make it easy for the field people to communicate. Yeah. Now, obviously, there's the old adage that you cannot manage what you cannot measure. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, how much of what you're doing comes down to the measurement of the project like you were just talking about then? And how frequently should you be measuring? Uh, measuring is can't be done too often, but you've got other things to do. Um, so by breaking out your quote in a more easier to understand method, um, so like if I have access control and CCTV, I'll make two separate sub quotes and put them into one quote. Right. So that way, when I'm evaluating my access progress, I can see I have, you know, 13 out of 26 doors done. And my, you know, how many hours have I spent? Oh, I'm 50% of my hours. It's going to tell me I'm on track. That, that helps me out versus mixing in with the cameras. Cause if I have 50 cameras, you know, I need to have 25 cameras done to say I'm 50% done. So that measurement kind of helps you out. So when you do, I would say like a weekly, you know, measurement test, that's really where you're going to tell yourself how good you are. Because if you break down the subtasks to a point, you can say, if these are complete, this is how many hours I should be done. It's going to give you that feedback. Right. And when you're breaking that down into two separate quotes, is that something that you would necessarily send on to the client or is that just something you would keep internally? And It's more know? internally. So the way I would do it is you have your internal worksheets where you give yourself all your free costs. That's where I'd break it down. And then on the what the uh, customer sees, I just break down the scopes, you know, into subsections, but it's all one quote to them at the end of the day. Okay. And then as far as variations go on the job there must be times where other trades or other groups come in that do things that then will impact what you've said you're going to be able to achieve mm -hmm. within the quote how do you account for that in the quote or is that something you just kind of have to deal with on the fly so that's part of the you know your estimated burden and knowing what the average is of having to deal with those type of things um like a perfect example this is more on fire alarm i was getting you know uh a client giving me grief because we weren't going to be done on time. And I'm like, well, we're done everything but the duct detector and there's no duct work for me to mount to. Yeah. <laughs> you give me a duct, it will be mounted. Yeah. So 
having those clear communications uh, and being upfront saying, hey, here's where I need these things done before I can complete on schedule. And it's really having that action on node or action on arrow type of project management uh, scenarios saying where you can tell the end user or your contact or the project manager or the construction manager, these are what I need done and when I need them done for me to be on schedule. Yeah. Okay. And so I imagine communication is a very important part of this process with all aspects of the people involved in the job from the engineer to the architect through to the other trades on the job through to your own team members. How do you, that's obviously something you have to account for time-wise in the quote, I'm assuming? Yes, so there's always project management and engineering costs that you have to uh, allot into the uh, job. Um, One of the things that I tried to do to lessen the burden of that is have a clear, concise job plan set. So we take the plans and re-engineer them and redesign everything the way we want to present it. So that way, when we sit in a meeting, we go, this is what we're doing. And if you have any problems, we can talk about it now versus waiting until when it's on the wall. Um, that's come in handy where we're trying to mount things and then the architect comes in and goes, oh, they need to put some kind of architectural thing or TV or some other thing that end user wants on that wall. I'm like, okay, well, it's a lot cheaper now because we both sat and looked at the same drawing and said I was planning to put something on that wall. So it kind of helps with that t- those type of situations. Um, same thing with like when architects kind of get a little too uh, overabundant with glass and the doors. And yeah. they're like, we need to put locks on these doors. I'm like, all right, well, I need to be in five feet to meet code <laughs> yeah. of request exit hardware. And then they start looking at it and go, all right, well, we could slide it a little to the left since we haven't built it yet so you can be within, you know, regulations. I'm like, okay. It's a lot easier to look in 2D to fix these problems than waiting when everything's built and we're all staring at each other going, well, this isn't going to (laughs) work. Yeah. So then if someone comes to you requesting a quote, Mm -hmm. how early in the process do you need to get involved to ensure that you're giving an accurate and and realistic quote? Uh, Earlier, the better. Um, You're not always going to be able to. Um, A lot of times, you know, the bigger the project, the more hands are in it, the more you're not ever going to get all the information you want. But the more RFIs you send out, the more clarifications you put on your, you know, your proposal, and the more you do on your submittals with your drawings and everything else, the more you're going to get ahead of the problem and make it a cheaper solution. I always say it's a dollar for the salesperson, it's ten dollars for the uh, engineer, and it's a thousand dollars for the technician to fix the same problem. Yeah. Okay. I imagine there's a temptation often to try and cut costs and, and bring the quote in as cheap as possible to try and win the work. But is that one of these sort of mentalities that often just ends up bringing you unstuck or? Yeah, it usually uh, shoots yourself in the foot. Um, I kind of, you know, in this industry, we always talk about like the service department being kind of like a mechanic. You know, we have to get our hands on the card and know what we need to fix. Well, the same thing happens on the, you know, picking our products and everything else is, you know, I can't say I'm a, a Nissan mechanic and then start working on Fords. I'm definitely going to, you know, not know what I'm doing. So every time I try to chase the cheapness and bring on products and all that kind of stuff, I'm probably going to land up having more costs because of not being efficient in what we do. Um, you can look at it as even if you have the most expensive product, but you do it well, 
you could be more aggressive than trying to take something off the shelf that you've never worked on before and trying to make it work. No matter how simple it is, it's probably going to bite you somewhere in your cost. Yeah, well, I imagine if it's a product you've never worked with before, mm-hmm. then you're going to spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to make it work, and that's not necessarily time that you can bill the client for. Exactly, and then if you have a product that's not flexible enough, it's the old additive. If all you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, you're going to run into where customers aren't going to be happy with the product because it doesn't work for their use. <laughs> yeah, so on that subject, are there sort of, you know, um, let's just for lack of a better, it's a better term, call them... Um, false beliefs or or myths where people think you know oh it's a good idea to try and do this but the reality is through the lens of experience that never pans out yeah it's the pretty much not coming up with the standard you know trying to sit there and say well we'll go to the counter and see what's cheap this week never pans out um trying to say hey let's be optimistic on the proposal never works out i'd rather go in with an aggressive uh, GM, uh, gross margin and work my way up higher than going with a high one and work my way down because, hey, all the things I assumed didn't work out. So those that's a big myth of, you know, hey, if we plan our way out, it's easier to plan out from a, a, a dud than it is to, you know, keep a, a fat and happy one fat and happy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And in your experience, what are, if we haven't already covered them, what are the, the top one or two things as far as expenses mm-hmm. that almost always end up bringing people unstuck? Um, pretty much uh, making sure your technicians ex- are trained and have the time to work on what you trained them on doing. You know, too many times I've seen where technicians are trained and then you don't sell the product for six months and then you're expecting them to remember what they trained on it. So getting their hands on, getting, you know, um, some lab time, getting, you know, you need to do everything three times before you really get it. So having the tech do training, play with it on the bench, and then finally installing it is when they're actually going to be trained. So those are the kind of things where if you expect to have that and put it in your uh, overhead, you know, and your burn costs, you're going to be unstuck because when you think you're going to learn on the job, is where you're going to find jobs are going to be consistently running over. Second thing is not having a plan for downtime that is not related to the job and trainee time. Because those two things will ruin jobs and they had no reason to ruin the job because they're not related to the job. But you feel like you need to hide these guys somewhere and all of a sudden the jobs go over. So those are the kind of things that if you come up with them, you can get unstuck because you plan for those costs in your overhead. Right. So then let's say the specification requires that I'm working with equipment that I may not have seen before or I'm, I, I haven't used for six months. And you know there's going to be an element of people getting used to and working on that gear. Do you, obviously based on what you were saying before, mm-hmm. I imagine you try and get that training under the belt and done before the job begins. Can you build the cost of that training into the quote, or do you just have to wear that? Uh, to a degree, yes. I mean, usually all I'll do is in-house programming and then have them play with the equipment in-house, get it set for the job, so they're not doing it in front of the customer on the site. You know, so that way, you know, it takes a little of the burden into the job, but it also puts it in a place where it belongs versus, hey, we're going to slap it on the wall turn it on and then figure it out, never works out. You know, usually you land up pissing off 
everybody involved, especially the tech. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Great. So, in closing, because we're getting close to the uh, the end of our allotted time, mm-hmm. if you if you had to give people a quick checklist of, you know, make sure you do these three, four, or five things mm-hmm. in order to build out a profitable sales quote, what would they be, and in what order? Uh, first is you know read everything that the customer gives you, you know whether it's drawings, you know specs, uh, just a small paragraph. If you're design building, make the customer write a small paragraph to say what they expect to get out of this. Um, two, learn account and color as much as it sounds very rudimentary. Learning how to do takeoff and you know learning how to you know calculate how much wire you need and how many you know parts and pieces and conduit and back boxes is a very key element. If you don't spend the time there, that's usually when things can get out of your get out of hand. Uh, third, learn to ask the right questions. So if you don't have an answer from all the things provided, ask. You got RFIs, call the customer, you know, get the answers because making assumptions does not work out well for anybody. Um, <clears throat> and you know, the last one is verify. You know, go over the quote. As much as everybody's running around and everybody double checking that you know hey client i understand you're busy but give me 15 minutes let's go over the quote make sure i'm providing what you want and i'm not not providing something you think i'm going to be providing or hey there's some question that comes up of oh i need to get it involved or i need to get my fire alarm inventor involved or somebody else that they're not considering you know the first thing i tell customers is there's more cost to this job than what i provide and i'm one to make sure you cover those Great. So, Ken, if people want to find out a little bit more about what you do mm-hmm. or anything else you've written on the key elements of profitable, profitable sales estimating, mm-hmm. where would they go? Uh, they can check me out on my LinkedIn page. And where do we find that? Uh, just look me up, uh, Kenneth Whalen, so K-E-N-N-E-T-H-W-H-E-L-A-N. Excellent. And they'll find all the information there. They can connect to you there mm-hmm. and ask questions if they need to yep. and all the rest of it. Fantastic. All right, Ken, thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you. And ladies and gentlemen, don't forget, if you've enjoyed this podcast, there are plenty more like this one in the ASIAL Security Insider series. You can find them on uh, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Blurberry, uh, the Google Play Store, and all the other great places that you can find amazing podcasts. And we look forward to catching you on the next episode. Have a great day.